Welcome to Rock the Midlife Show, a podcast that brings you fun and interesting conversations to inspire, motivate, and encourage women on their journey through midlife. I am Alinka Tercic, your host. I help women at midlife to rediscover themselves and their vision and thrive through the transition into their next stage. Enjoy. Hey, hey, today I am interviewing Scott McKay, dating coach and founder of X and Y Communications. Hi, Scott. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, it's a beautiful day. And I'm glad it- to be here with you and with your audience. And I am happy to talk about my favorite subject of all time, which is men and women in relationship with each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my favorite topic as well. And I'm sure a lot of my audience will will confirm that, but I see a lot of them, you know, not being very happy in in the relationship or ending the relationship. And you have a great relationship with your wife. So how do you, how do you manage? Oh, well, I'll tell you what, it all had to do with choosing the right woman to begin with. And after having really done a lot of soul searching about who I am, and also what it is that women want. I, I did something that I've coined called deserving what I want, which is the idea of becoming the kind of guy who the woman of my dreams is also going to like. And I think when we have a real strong identity and we know who we are, that's really great uh, because the woman will recognize who we are and it isn't so hard to find someone you're so compatible with. I also have a concept called being connectable, where I believe that even though a lot of times we focus on being taller and skinnier and richer or more famous or something so as to attract a partner, I really think there's a baseline of traits that everybody really wants that aren't as subjective as those other ones we all seem to chase. And those are things like being a good, decent person instead of a black-hearted person, uh, being honest instead of being a liar. Uh, being sane instead of being crazy, uh, being generous instead of being selfish. And the more of those check boxes we can check off, the more apt we are to start our connecting process, our relating process from, you know, a cleaner baseline, free of the clutter that keeps us from being one half of a great relationship to begin with, so that in turn, we recognize the person we should be with more readily. And that's exactly what happened after dating lots of women, I became very good at figuring out who it was I was looking for so that when Emily came into my life, not only did I recognize her, but because when we're authentic with each other, we honestly are showing the world who we are, the kind of woman who was looking for me also recognized me. You would think if I believe she's perfect for me, well then she should also think that also if it really is true. And that's what happened. And it's the second time around for both Emily and I, and we certainly did it right. And she's precious and adorable and everything I have ever wanted in a life partner. And 15 years later, we're still going strong. Wow. So I will ask you more about that, but you, you pointed a few things here that I want to talk about more. And one is knowing who you are. And I have, you know, the audience of midlife women who are just discovering who they are. And they find themselves, you know, married to a college sweetheart or someone they met right after the college or, you know, very young age. And then they are, you know, not 
even sure who they are, let alone being the right person for that, for the partner. So do you think is that, that you can grow in the relationship, you know, that both partners can kind of grow together or do you know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, certainly when we get into a long-term committed relationship before we've really established our identity, before we've really matured into adults, I suppose that there is uh, that peril, <laughs> that danger, if you will, that we're going to grow apart instead of growing together. Yeah. And certainly a lot of couples experience that. And it's understandable how that can tragically happen in a relationship. Uh, so, you know, on one hand, it's wise to wait until you know who you are and uh, have established what you're about before you get into a relationship with someone else. But I also believe that, you know, certain happy circumstances happen. Uh, my parents met when they were 17 and 18 years old, or I'm, let me correct myself. They got married at that age. Wow. And they were soulmates and they've been happy ever since. Uh, but I do think... Also, on the other side of the coin, people can get married for the first time, even in their 30s or even 40s, and still not have that sense of identity. Or worse yet, and this is very important, not be very nice people. You know, go in with narcissistic tendencies or a very selfish bent or just not mm -hmm. understanding the purpose of this relationship. Uh, and, and it will still fail uh, for those reasons as well. So uh, on one hand, it seems like there's a lot of inventory to be taken before we're ready to be one half of a great relationship. But on the other hand, it's really a matter of being comfortable with ourselves and not being desperate to get into the relationship for the relationship's sake. And uh, when we can relax and rest in the fact that we've done the work to be the right person in the right relationship, I think, I think things tend to become a lot easier. Uh, a lot of times people talk about a relationship being hard work. And I think the wrong relationship is always going to be hard work because you're always bailing out the lifeboat. But to, much to the chagrin of a lot of other dating experts, Emily and I constantly report that our relationship isn't work. Uh, life, you know, throws its curveballs at us. But because we're in this together, uh, both of us are a lot more gratified and life goes by a lot more swimmingly because we're assisting each other and helping each other. I mean, in this relationship, one plus one doesn't equal two. It equals more like five or 10 or 50, <laughs> you know. Amazing. So, yeah, I kind of agree with you that a relationship should not be hard work, but it is still work. It still requires the commitment and the time and you know the effort put into it and yeah i love how you explain it if it's you know it is something bigger than yourself it doesn't feel like hard work or struggle or you know that you're really pushing against something and being the one the only one that you know wants change and trying to convince another or whatever it's but it's still work it's like well, parenting. I would challenge that. I, I don't think our relationship is work at any level. Theoretically, literally, I don't feel the need to work on our relationship. She's like one of me. She's on my team. The work we do together as dating coaches, um, et cetera, comes naturally to us. I mean, we are there in 
synchronicity and assistance to each other. I, I don't feel like it requires any additional effort for me to uh, have this woman in my life and vice versa. We're, we're there for each other. We assist each other. We make life easier for each other all day long. Now, parenting, that's work. <laughs> uh, doing our job, running our business, doing the taxes, getting the house fixed because, you know, things constantly break when you're a homeowner. That's all work. But I would be hard-pressed to think of a single example in our relationship that feels like we're doing heavy lifting for the sake of us continuing to be able to relate in a healthy way to each other. Well, yeah, if you explain it like that, I, I might agree, but, <laughs> but the way I see it is, you know, not work as work that you, but you have to be mindful of the, you know, the, you're not alone. You're not one person. You are, you have someone else that you have to pay attention, give energy, give, you know, all these other things that you would give to let's say child or a business or someone else uh, sure but for us it's pleasure because we're so aligned on just about every level if you listen to a podcast that we do sometimes we do interviews together uh, we host our own podcast together uh, that's more sporadically released than my podcast for men that i host but uh emily and i when we're on audios or videos together people comment all the time on how it's like there's one person on the audio. I mean, we just, we help each other finish each other's sentences. Uh, we very rarely disagree on anything. And when I talk like this, it makes people angry. They think I'm lying. They're like, that, that, that's impossible. That can't be the way it is. Stop it. You know, <laughs> but I'm not going to lie and tell you it isn't that way and pretend it's like a bunch of work because that would be disingenuous. My first marriage was awful constantly. I felt like I was bailing out a flooding submarine almost every day of that seven-year marriage. Wow. It was, I feared for my life sometimes. I had to work out in my mind, and I'm using that word, I had to labor diligently on how to keep this woman in my life because she was all about the drama and all about breaking anything in half that seemed even remotely prosperous. She wanted to spend all the money as soon as it came in. Sometimes I went to bed fearing for my life and she didn't make sense a lot and did things that really put our relationship and our very lives in peril. That was work. That was a full-time job. It was exhausting and I needed a vacation, but I was never going to get one till death do us part. Well, that was the wrong woman to be in a relationship with. So it's almost like you can build a coefficient of, of an equation, as it were, where the ratio of how wrong this relationship is correlates to how much work you got to put into it in an attempt to stay together. Some people think Emily and I got really lucky, but what I did was, even though everyone told me I couldn't have been any better a husband or any better a father to my first wife, I didn't want to feel like a victim. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do my part to do better next time. I'm going to take ownership over what I can. So I decided I was going to try to understand how women are as much as I can and try to figure out how to be the kind of man a woman wants to the best of my ability and then some. And I 
didn't dare enter into another relationship until I was very clear on who I was, who the woman I was looking for was going to be, and that I had my house in order. And when Emily and I met each other, she had done much of the same work, although she's naturally adorable. She has lots of very natural, positive traits. And when it came to the big things, like how do we spend money? How do we go on vacation? What kind of food do we eat or not eat? What's our idea of fun? What God do we pray to? Uh, do we spend or do we save? Things like that. Uh, who do we vote for? It was like there was so much consistency in our core belief system that all of those other factors fell in line because we were congruent within ourselves. Therefore, when we met someone who was like us, we were congruent with each other and we met online. So you could readily see in people's profiles, whether they're going to be a troublemaker or not, even at the baseline level, you know, if we're willing to see those red flags, we knew within 10 minutes, we were perfect for each other. And I know that sounds really Pollyannish and we were joined at the hip. Both of us were, uh, in the sales world and we work from home and a lot of times we co-worked, <laughs> you know, she would bring her laptop over to my house or vice versa. And we started spending all day together constantly all the time, almost immediately. And so when we got married a mere nine months later, it's safe to say that even though that doesn't feel like a long time, she wasn't pregnant by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> our son was born like 10 months after that, but, um, you know, we had spent so much time together that it was probably the equivalent of someone having been together for two years if they were simply dating, God forbid, being in a long-term relationship. We asked all the questions. We did two different road trips where we drove like 1,500 miles of windshield time together just in hopes to see how we got on each other's nerves and didn't. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of times where she was expecting me to pop the question because it got really romantic. And then we waited some more. And so when we finally did get married, it was everybody, it was coming. Everybody approved of it. Everybody thought it was the right, the right deal. Even people who were working our wedding said, yeah, those two are built to last. They really adore each other. And, you know, we got married in 2006. And here we are, 2020, we will have our fourth anniversary later. We've actually known each other for over 14 years now. And we're still on our honeymoon. I mean, just the other day, we said to ourselves, did we really ever stop the honeymoon period? And we looked at each other, sort of laughed and said, no, nah, I don't think so. Um, so it's not that this was accidental. So when we talk in these Pollyanna-ish terms about how wonderful our relationship was, what happened is we didn't rush into anything. We built a foundation before we met each other, yeah. which is what a lot of people don't do. They go thinking, oh, you know what? I've been, I've got a graduate degree. I may even be a doctor with a PhD. And I've spent 10 years working on how to play guitar. I go to the golf ball range and hit golf balls, you know, three times a week. But when it comes to who am I going to spend my life with, they wing it. They do nothing. They think, oh, you know what? Uh, there's someone for everyone and I'll know him or her when I see them. And, you know, it just isn't a rational way to go through life. A lot of people fly by the seat of their emotions. Yeah. And meanwhile, a lot of people are trying to fit 
their future mate into a checklist. And you've got to have a balance of that logical and emotional factoring of, of who it is you're looking for. And I can't underscore enough the importance of experience. I dated other women. She dated other guys. And it was like, yeah, I kind of like this person, but uh, you know, I thought I liked someone who was like this and you know, I really kind of don't. And Emily puts it like this. A lot of times people feel like they're looking for a needle in a haystack in terms of who their partner would be. But when you have a magnet, it's a lot easier to find that needle in a haystack. And the way I put it is when something's running away from you, it's harder to catch it. But yeah. when who you're looking for is also trying to find you, it's a lot like when you lose your five-year-old in the Walmart. You know, they, <laughs> they're both looking for each other <laughs> yeah. desperately, you know? So when Emily's looking for a guy like me and I'm looking for a woman like her, we're trying to find each other. It was easier to find each other. And I would dare say probably in the last six months of my tenure dating before I finally met Emily and decided she was the one, I was almost supernaturally meeting only women who were wonderful by my own standards. I mean, they were all precious and adorable. I wasn't dating crazy women anymore. I wasn't dating women who were kind of not very nice people. I wasn't dating women who were depending on their looks to take advantage of everybody in life. I wasn't dating people who were bitter towards the other gender and blaming me for something that happened to them at the hands of someone else and vice versa. I didn't blame all women for my ex-wife. And there are men who will write me and think I'm foolish, naive, stupid, wrongheaded, bullheaded for having actually trusted a woman enough to tie the knot with her again after having gone through such a tough experience. And all I say to them is, why would I ever, you know, let, let's say you turn me to your way of believing. What good does that do for me? Because I'm happy and you guys are miserable who are writing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your story really sounds like a fairy tale, <laughs> but like you, you said, you know, it was that foundation. You both knew what, who you are, what you can offer, what you're looking for, how you envision your life together with, you know, whoever it was. You, you didn't know her name or, you know, the, but you recognize her in, in your, you know, it, she fits in, into, your, into your vision and you fit into her and I really love that because I feel like you know a lot of women are just pointing fingers or even men you know they are you know it's always someone else's uh someone else's fault and you know they're always the victim they're always you know and exaggerating and generalizing and putting all men in the same you know like what what you just said uh but how do you what would you say you know even even now you say you're like in a honeymoon honeymoon period and i would go back to that work you know or not work or you know just coming coming uh, part of your life but how do you keep that spark alive even after all these years well you know what's work is going into a relationship, trying to get someone else to do your bidding and feed your own selfishness. That's a lot of work, especially if they're trying to get you to feed their selfishness. Two selfish people are going to have to work really, really hard to get the other one to do what they want them to do. Mm -hmm. 
I have keys to a relationship. I think there's at least a three-legged stool that keeps a relationship on proper footing. The first one is getting each other, which is, you know, I, I only know how to demonstrate this really objectively by, get, by telling you the story of what happens a lot on my coaching calls. I'll have someone write me or talk to me on the phone and they'll say, look, I've been dating this woman for three and a half months or three and a half years for that matter. And she said this last night. What did she mean by that? And I'll go, I don't know. Did you ask her? And they're like, oh, I could never do that. Yeah. Well, they're not connected. There's no connection there. I had a guy last week was like, you know, there's this unspoken rule in our relationship. I go, then why don't you speak it? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I mean, I bet you can fill in the blanks. That unspoken rule got violated and someone was mad because someone didn't say, oh my goodness, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to abide <laughs> by that unspoken spoken rule this time. And the other person was like, well, it's unspoken. That's lack of connection. Yeah. That's, we don't get each other. People are amazed. How can my wife trust me to go out in field and teach other guys how to be charming to women, approach them and make conversation with them? How can she be fully on board with that? Well, because she knows I chose her. She's my favorite woman ever. I just adore her. It's obvious to her. It's obvious to everybody. So she feels safe in the relationship. And also, she and I are wired the same way. She's very pretty. She's very, very personable. She's very easy to talk to. Men love my wife. They adore her like I do. Why do I never worry when she's out and about doing her thing all day? Well, never mind that she has a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old with her. <laughs> that makes things difficult. But we're, we're wired the same way. If I ever cheated on my wife, the burden of my own conscience conscience would be such that I'd have to come home and admit it to her. And, and she's like me, so I can trust she'll do the same thing. And people go, well, you know, you're naive. This has been tested <laughs> for years. It has not failed yet because I know how her brain works. I can look at her and tell what she's thinking. We both sometimes laugh at the same time. We don't even have to talk. It's like, it's like telepathy. And that's because we get each other. We connected. She's one of me. She's on my team. I'm on hers. People are like, oh, well, dating's a team sport. Yeah. And we're on the same team. It's not like, yeah. you know, a lot of times people see women as adverse, men see women as adversaries or vice versa. Yeah. You know, that's not it. You don't conquer this woman to make her your girlfriend. <laughs> You know, how do I get this rich guy to marry me? It's like, it's as if you're having to trick him into this thing, you know? <laughs> the other two legs of the stool are just as important. And one of them is optimism. I'm going to think the best. I'm going to be hopeful. And, you know, hope is not a strategy, but I'm going to always work for a positive outcome. When two people are optimistic, and they want this to work and they want something good to happen. That's part of a wonderful foundation. And the other one, which is the one that prompted me to bring this up to begin with, is generosity. Selfish people who are only in it for themselves are not going to have happy relationships. And they're forever scanning for someone who is optimistic to a fault, mm -hmm. right? Someone who's needy, 
someone who is an approval seeker so that they can take, take, take from that person and always demand more knowing the person is going to go, oh God, that wasn't good enough. I got to redouble my efforts. That's a dysfunctional, sick relationship. Now, here's an interesting tidbit that hopefully will bring this full circle for all your listeners who are still grumpy at me for the way I've been talking. <laughs> okay. Both Emily and I were codependents to narcissistic crazy people in our first marriage. I had a guy come to me not too long ago and said, and I, and he said to me, yeah, this woman is terrific. She may be my future wife. There's only one problem. She was in this relationship with this crazy guy who was a narcissistic manipulator. And, and she suffered through that. I go, she's a great woman. Marry her. <laughs> That's not a red flag. <laughs> That's a checkered flag, <laughs> man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, you know, if someone is that optimistic and generous, that they're willing to make it work even vis-a-vis -a, -vis a lot of pain, you know, and work, you know, that is work. Like I said, Emily and I both worked very diligently on our respective previous relationships. When two incredibly generous people who are optimistic meet each other, that's magic. And then when they're of the same mind, when they get each other, then you just have that magic three-legged stool. So how do we keep the spark alive? Well, I, I finally figured out how to put this in words. And if you mean by spark, the sexual spark, the bedroom spark. I mean, First, I mean the flirtation, the, you know, having this, you know, the, the happy couples, the one that you are, are together, you know, like they have this special, you know, they constantly touch each other. They, you know, Same smile thing, to right? each other, you know, they, they're, you see there, you know, the connection. You can see from afar that, you know, they have something. Right. Well, people ask us all the time, how long have you been married? And yeah. Amazed by how long it's been. Um, first of all, we're, we're happy people. We're optimistic, generous people. So when you're optimistic and generous, you want to do right by someone else, which never gets old. I mean, her doing nice things for me and being sweet, is not ever going to be something I'm sick of. It's like, you know, couldn't you be a cold hearted bitch every once in a while? Damn. <laughs> just, that, that's something that no one ever said ever. Maybe to spark it up. But I am a flirt and I, you know, here's another thing. Okay. I love women. I don't have, I don't harbor any resentment or bitterness. I, I don't, see women as having value only sexually, for example. Uh, I have always loved female human beings and thank the good Lord above that he made them possible. And Emily is the same way. Emily has not been broken. Uh, she doesn't suffer from PTSD. I mean, you know, everybody, every woman has dealt with a grabby guy or some guy who's a knucklehead or more. I mean, probably plenty. But you know how we choose to resolve those events in our mind will make us either a victim or, or will make us more resilient and, and perseverant. I mean, I'm actually the one in this relationship who's been sexually assaulted multiple times when I was younger. And I made a decision I wasn't going to let those creeps have superpowers over me. You know, I, I'm not going to let them live rent free in my life. Both of them are dead in the grave by now. I'm not going to let them haunt me from the grave. 
I actually didn't even think about it much till they did a full investigation, you know, at the behest of the, the organization they all worked for and, and wanted to interview me based on it. I, it's the first time I thought about it in years. And so we come into this with a healthy respect, not only for each other as humans, but also for the male-female dance together. Uh, we understand sexual polarity. I flirt with my wife constantly. And I'll tell you something. She giggles. She's going to be 49 years old this year, and she still giggles. And it's, she has a giggle language. She giggles about 15 or 16 different ways, depending on what triggered the giggle. And I'm naturally a comedian. I love to be funny. Even as we're having this deadly serious conversation. <laughs> I love to be funny, damn it. But um, <laughs> I live for that giggle. I live for it. I, I just, it's fuel for me. And so I make her laugh. We fill our lives with fun. Um, even when things get challenging, I try to have a sense of humor about it. And we're not uptight. We're easygoing people. And I do want to say a word about how we keep the sexual spark going. Someone asked me, how can you be monogamous? How can you have sex with the same woman for 15 years? And we are monogamous. It's not like we're in an open relationship or we're swingers. And I say, you know, I finally, one day it occurred to me. It just kind of dawned on me. I don't know how visceral I can get on this show, but if you talk about pleasuring yourself, you know, like masturbation, Getting sick of my wife has the same ring to it as like getting sick of my hand and my own self. <laughs> you know, it's never going to happen because it's part of me. So Emily and I having sex together is a part of us. I mean, I see our relationship as an extension of self. I don't know if that's healthy or really, really twisted, but it really works. And, and she feels the same way. You know, her pleasuring me is like her pleasuring herself and us can, us being together and our lovemaking. And I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, hopefully you don't have an explicit tag on this show, but if you do, you know. Um, we are all adults here. We, we absolutely screw each other's brains out like a porn video. That's how much trust we have. I mean, it's like, oh my God, if my husband doesn't make love to me tenderly, he must be thinking about another woman or something. No, we, we screw like rabbits. We just pound each other. I mean, you know, if we have a babysitter and the kids aren't in the house. Oh my gosh, it gets noisy and messy. You know, it's like Bill Cosby once said famously, kids are wonderful birth control. <laughs> the best form of birth control. I mean, you just, you go in the door and you lock the door. Hopefully you get this blessed little interlude and, you know, our eight-year-old mm -hmm. knocks on the door, mom, yeah. you know, like 10 seconds, it's like they have radar. But that's, that's how we view being happy together sexually. The other thing is I married a woman who is genuinely sexually attractive to me. She is exactly what I like, and she continues to be that. And I think a lot of times people get duped into thinking if they want someone who's sexy to them they're being quote-unquote shallow you should care what this mm. person's mind like is whatever well forget that i want the whole package this is all about deserving what i want you know i need to get a haircut i need to make sure there's no dirt underneath my fingernails i need to brush my teeth take a shower wear clean clothes take care of myself physically you know do the best i can for my wife and then she does the best for me and then i marry the kind of person who just does it for me and so all those factors together 
they may seem out of reach for someone who's listening, but I'm telling yeah. you, if you follow that, that advice to deserve what you want, instead of saying, you know, I already deserve this, damn it. Give me what I want. Which by the way, is a hundred percent of all dating advice out there. I mean, you've all seen everyone listening has seen those God awful web pages mm -hmm. with the video, with the words on it that start rolling and mesmerize you into watching. It's like, here's three simple phrases you can whisper into any man's ear that make them <laughs> drop everything, never watch porn forever and worship you and hand you their wallet and only you forever. Sure. It's like, Oh, please. <laughs> sure. What guy's going to sign on for that? It's like, you know, all of a sudden he gets those little psycho twirls in his eyes and goes, must do everything for woman never get anything in return <laughs> i've asked both men and women on coaching calls uh can i ask you something you probably never considered before you're like shoot and i'm like what are you getting out of this relationship you know there's someone optimistic and generous serving someone who's just selfish and they're like i've never stopped to think about that it's like well yeah. can you even give yourself permission to think like that oh i don't know that shouldn't be what's happening ever. And when people go into a relationship saying, I'm going to believe in the, man, the mantra that it's better, more blessed to give than receive. Than receive. I, I get more out of giving to someone else than I get from receiving. When two people enter into a relationship hoping to give, it's like you almost can't fail, Right? But when people go into a relationship going, oh, this is going to be freaking great. I'm going to wring everything I can out of this person I allegedly love with all my heart and just ruin their life with my selfishness. I mean, that, that's not going to work very well. Of course. Wow, that was, that was deep and very thoughtful. And I think that, yeah, it was really valuable. And I feel like we are, you know, especially... I would say my generation, not my generation, but, you know, midlife women, you know, mm. starting to think about what we want. And, you know, we have all these questions, what men want and how to, you know, do we want to have another relationship? Do we just give up on men or give up on everything? So uh, I think that you gave them, you know, something to think about. And like you said, it all starts with you, your own responsibility taking inventory of who you are and what you want and then you know like attract someone <laughs> i i i am love attraction coach as well so you know attract someone but not just on the visual thinking but really and i know you hate that word working on it <laughs> well you know i look at it from more of an old school Norman Vincent Peale approach, the power of positive thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, law of attraction, power of positive thinking, prayer, you know, for people of faith. It all is, is that which I hope for, that which I trust will come into being. I'm going to, even at a subconscious level, help affect. Yeah. There's a block where I don't deserve this or I don't think I deserve this. And of course, that's another whole rabbit hole we could go down mm -hmm. that we don't have time for which is when we don't think we deserve something, we're certainly not going to do what it takes to try to deserve it. Yeah. We're going to keep shielding ourselves mm -hmm. from trying to get that. And one thing I do want to underscore, I know that your podcast is for people who are, you know, as you would call it midlife, which is a scary number to me since I'm 53 and you're talking about people over 40. 
But Emily and I <laughs> um, did Admit it, you're in the second half, even if you want to live on 100. <laughs> I heard a guy do a speech one time. He was, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm middle-aged. My wife interrupted me and goes, you're 58. How many 116-year-old guys do you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> A little bit of very bad, dark humor there. But I want to underscore for your listeners that Emily and I met when I was 39. There, there was a lot of water under our bridge, respectively, before we even met. So I want that to encourage your listeners. Harness the wisdom. Harness the fact that you can not rush into things, that you're a little bit more patient, that you've learned how to live life more skillfully by now and learn to trust that process, learn to trust your growth, learn to trust your new skills and don't compromise any of your deal breakers. I, I love to suggest to people I coach that they write down a list, not only of the traits they're looking for in a person that are kind of on a sliding scale that you can kind of rank subjectively, but also a list of binary deal breakers. They're ones or zeros. It's an on or off switch. And people can come up with whatever they want. Some of them are preposterous or shocking, but most of them are like, I don't want someone who's addicted to heroin. Yeah, mm -hmm. things like that. And stick to them. Remember, you're only being true to yourself because what happens is people get desperate. They're lonely. They want this relationship. They try to force this relationship's hand. And what ends up happening is they meet someone and they're like, well, they're okay, but you know, they're on the run from the law and they're wanted in 14 states for, you know, armed robbery and murder. You know, I, you know, I can get But away. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm this old. Yeah, maybe I can find another one. You have to be able to fly your own yeah. red flag saying to yourself, mm -hmm. hey, self, remember when you wrote down this deal breaker that we're not going to be in relationships with people who are wanted in 16 states for armed robbery and accessory to murder, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, remember, that was you who wrote that. That's, that's powerful. Okay, thank you, Scott. This was really so valuable. And I guess you have a special freebie, a gift for us. Yes, I sure do. Uh, definitely go to keystobliss.com front slash bonus. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-B-L-I-S-S -S, front slash B-O-N-U-S. And I'll give you my wife, Emily's book called Letters from Friends, where she gives really excellent answers to some of the most frustrating questions about men, dating, and relationships written for women. Uh, and it's based on the letters that have been contributed to her by real women all over the world. And uh, you'll be able to join Emily's newsletter there. It's fluff free, comes about twice a week. And you'll get other bonuses when you do that, including how to take control of your dating life, plus a special report called, called 10 Signs He's Serious About Marrying You. And there's also an opportunity there to get 25 minutes with us for free to talk about where you are and where you might want to be. And so we invite you to go to keystobliss.com front slash bonus and, uh, it's an all-you-can-carry sale. Go grab all the goodies. <laughs> yeah, that was generous. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Rock the Midlife Show. If you find value, you can visit our website, rockthemidlife.com, where you can listen to previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and other platforms so you never miss an episode. I would very much appreciate a rating on iTunes or if you simply tell a friend about it. You might also want to check out our Facebook community, The Midlife Sorority. 
I hope we meet again next week for our new episode. Bye!